Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June 2022, we're running our annual Radiothon when we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And with that done, please enjoy your podcast. Good morning, good morning everybody and it is Sunday morning, it's just after 7.30 after I've been fiddling around with the uh, technical controls. My name is Abby Bishop and it is The Gardening Show. Good morning to you. I'm sorry about that, there's a couple of little technical hitches here in the studio just for something different. Um, look, it is Sunday morning, it's Gardening Show, I'm very excited. I would like to welcome to the studio uh, Jane Tonkin from Tonkin's Plant Bulbs and Tim Sanson from Diggers. Good morning, guys. Good morning. morning. We Good got morning. there in the end. Yeah, it yes. wouldn't be a Sunday morning early without a little technical glitch. That, to get us that's going. true, that's true. I was channeling Stephen, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good morning, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's, um, yeah, I, I um, yes, slight technical difficulty. Never mind. We're all excited. We're all here. We're all awake. I should give a quick shout out to Michaela Hamilton, who was supposed to be joining us this morning, but she has. Tested COVID for the big C, so she's um, not able to join us, unfortunately. I hope that she gets better yeah, really quickly. Yeah, yeah. So that was interesting. The um, last community announcement, we're just talking about long COVID, and I think uh, there's probably none of us here who don't know people who haven't had COVID. Yep. So. It's yeah, yeah. Certain, certainly it's doing much the rounds. Part of our lives now, isn't it? It you know, is totally. In and out. We've learned to be much more flexible. I think. Yeah, that's right. And I, I should also mention that that is one of the reasons why we actually aren't going to be able to be taking phone calls this morning because um, we don't have any producers because they're either overseas or they're ill. So we, we will be able to have people texting in, which is fine, um, but no phone calls, unfortunately. So. Everyone will just have to continue to listen to our dulcet tones all morning. Or convert it to a text message. <laughs> or con- yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. convert it to a and text message. And we'll do our best from there. We're ready to roll, waiting for text messages. Yes, so. yeah. yes. So how are you both? And Jane, you were just lamenting the rain before. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I probably do shouldn't. Do horticulturalists but... really lament um, rain? <laughs> well, at, at the moment, yeah. Six inches in the last two weeks is a lot. Um, Whoa, that is a and lot. It, and it's more just that 
heavy drizzle all mm. day. Yeah. Um, so by the time you go outside to quickly grab something to repot and bring it back in, you're already soaking wet. Um, the ground is just sodden. Um, our greenhouses are actually uh, on the top of the hill, so usually everything drains away, but it's now sort of driving the tractor down to get things rather than the four-wheel drive ute. It won't, I'd, that's a bit dangerous doing that because it's so wet. But, I mean, it, it, it's fabulous, but for when you're working out in it, yeah. it's, it's not so good. It's, I think as, well, clearly as gardeners, we, you know, we're attuned to weather much more than you know, yeah, yeah. the average Joe, I suppose. And, you know, it's... I was talking to I – mean, I don't work so much in the garden anymore, thankfully. I spent plenty of time in the garden over my career. These days I'm a little bit more indoors. But I was talking to some of the gardeners at Heronswood the other day and we were commenting that we, you know, we don't remember an early winter like this for a long, long time, you know, where it was it's wet weather gear winter. every day, slushy mm-hmm. boots every day. Yeah. And maybe I'm getting a bit soft. I went and, <laughs> oh, Yesterday I went out in my own garden, thought, oh, it's, you know, it's the weekend, that's what I do. Oh, I did about half an hour. Gave <laughs> it up and went inside and read a book. A gardening book. A bad garden, yeah. 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 <laughs> Isn't that what we do in winter? Well, you know, we hibernate another, and look at catalogs. Maybe another half and, an hour today. To yeah, right. Today. I'll see how I go. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let me give my target. Well. i got tomorrow as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll wait for some clear breaks, I think. That yeah. is true. Hey, Jane, does the, all this rain affect the bulbs at all? Um, negatively or positively or...? Neither? Some some things it, it can, um, depending on, like some of the South African things, if they get too wet. Mm-hmm. But generally when I plant things that I compensate by having gravel or perlite or something like that to, to give them drainage for these sort of situations, um, and then you sort of run into trouble if we have a dry winter, mm. um, it's then watering and stuff. But um, trying to control Mother Nature is, I've learnt, is not easy. So, um, <laughs> But you do try, right? I do try, yeah. <laughs> Silly, it's like banging your head against a brick wall. But anyway, um, yeah, so a lot, of, a lot of things you have to sort of preempt what's going to happen um, and then, yeah, control that ourselves. Which is all about planning, really, isn't it? So, yeah. And knowing, I'm knowing not very the material. I'm good planning. <laughs> I'm sure, you are. You're, 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 you're work on cycles of nature, and you know yeah. the cycles year to year. Yeah. So, um, but planting appropriately, like say, putting South African bulbs in sharp ground so that it, you know it doesn't get, mm. don't put them at the bottom of a sump. You know. Yeah. So they're not water logged all winter mm. and things that then causes issues like rot and fungal mm. problems and stuff. I mean, all the rain um, does sort of tend to cause those fungal problems like botrytis and things like that that you might have to control. But touchwood, so far, we're okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's generally those sort of things happen to my peony crop in November when it's mm. a bit more humid and um, yeah. yeah. So but although we've had the rain, it has really that heat has abated, hasn't it? It's yeah. gone. Well, it's gone cold and wet yeah. simultaneously yeah. for us for yeah. us down here anyway. Yeah. I, mean, is it, I feel for our northern friends or cousins, you know, where they've had so much rain. Well, clearly, we've had you know impact of floods, but then the rain and the warmth that mm. you get. Up, up in sort of southern Queensland, that's difficult gardening conditions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's going to be similar again next year. I was uh, reading I read a couple of articles about it. La Nina sticking around sticking for a around. third year, which, yeah. which is it's not unprecedented but really rare. Mm. Um, and I think I look at that from, from our perspective. You know, we're in Melbourne, we're in a temperate climate. And that's actually a, kind of a good thing in a way. And I, I don't want to sort of 
uh, I don't want to boast about that, but it's, it is a good thing for us because we'll get lots of winter rainfall, which we're now getting. We'll get good storage of, of water, whether it be in our own tanks or in our own dams or in, in a main supply, which actually sets us up for a good a season, a good summer. Uh, and for me, I live adjacent to the bush. Uh, I like a wet summer because it's much less <laughs> fire uh, risk. And cooler summer. And cooler. Yeah. So you can breathe yeah. for a bit. Yeah, We're right. all in yeah. bushfire areas, yeah. aren't we? Yeah, yeah and that, I, mean, I think a lot of us are on the urban fringe, mm. so that's that's a, a real consideration. But I do feel for our northern cousins, if they're going to have to endure another wet wet summer or another extended La Nina system, that's a, it's a difficult conditions for them. Yeah, 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 for sure it isn't. I mean, as you say, Melbourne winter, that's when we do get most of our rainfall or a lot of our rainfall. Yeah. So it's sort of normal in inverted commas mm. conditions. Yeah, and, yeah just, just just topping up the reservoirs. And not only the reservoirs too, I think what's important to consider is how much moisture is running into the ground. When I know over those years, even, even in some of those sort of average years where we had sort of you know, average rainfall on the back of dry summers, you go to put your your spade in the ground in in spring, get a few inches in, and it's rock hard. Dry. It's still dry. Yep. This year, after a couple of years of this, it'll be moist all the way through. In mm. fact, the challenge will be not to work the soil, heavy soil, when it's wet. Another yeah. reason I didn't garden. Much yeah, of course. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> we've got we've got a list of tins yeah. reasons. Tins reasons up for here. Yeah, yeah. What am I, yeah. I'm casting myself as a real slacker. Um. Yeah. Uh, Jane, your property, that's on a slope, yeah, by, by the sounds of it? It's quite hilly, yeah, undulating. So there, there's gullies and um, hills and things because um, it's it's basically 120 acres but um, also three quarters of it's bush, so mm-hmm. with a great conservation covenant on it and oh, things. So um, hopefully that will stick around forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so there's, there's patches where it is – um, just running water, like natural springs and things that we've got, which is great. Um, so it's great to see those sort of things coming back during um, this period that we're having too because a lot of our natural springs on the farm have sort of dried up over the past few years and things, so that's lovely. And fern gullies and things like that that are just sort of dripping in water is quite beautiful yeah. too. Um, so I shouldn't complain. I'll, I'll stop yeah. complaining. We're not. We're celebrating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it is, I mean, very different um, to average gardeners that are just sort of outside enjoying rain. You two are both making a living, essentially. You through diggers, Tim, and, yeah, yourself yeah. through your own business, Jane. Um, and so you, you really... Um, I can see how you would either lament or celebrate nature, depending. Look, yeah, and, I mean, yesterday um, I was digging perennials and then washing them and stuff. But, I mean, you're getting wet anyway, so you're out in the rain. I'd rather be doing it at 8 degrees than at 40. Yeah. Um, The summers sort of kill me as working outside. Yeah. I think that's a gardener's – well, I think – I'd agree with that too, absolutely, that um, you can warm up and dry out in the winter. Yeah. Whereas in the summer, especially working outside, it's much harder yeah, to and, cool down. And I say there's only so many clothes you can take off <laughs> in the <summer laughs> taste, in summer. When, when there's people around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's quite secluded where you are. It is very secluded. It's, yeah, so, it's like images of Jane running around naked in the summer. Great. World um, naked gardening day in, every day for Jane. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but we have, a, we have our own um, dams and things as well for watering and stuff. So they're always good on a hot summer day to dive in and yep. have a swim. 
too. But um, yeah, I, I do prefer to be out there in the Rugged cold up. rather mm. than yeah. yeah. Well, and the, the other thing about and gardening, as we know, is a, a physical activity. It's you know, it's a good way to exercise. And you can so it's much better to be doing a physical activity, you know, digging, weeding, moving around on a cold day yep. than a yep. hot day. That's yep. my my impression. I'll remember that later today. <laughs> yeah, okay. We'll all, we'll all have a moment in the garden. Yep. So I'm, what what stage are you at now with the with the plants? Okay, so our um, winter list has just gone online a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So that's www.tonkinsbulbs.com.au if anyone wants to have a look. Mm-hmm. And that list includes things that are basically um, summer flowering, so late spring into summer, so all winter dormant, so we can lift and separate. So there's lots of um, lilliums, mm-hmm. so, but predominantly we concentrate on the species lilliums, which are a little bit more difficult than your run-of-the-mill Asiatics and things. Um, and there's a lot of perennials as well little special things from um, like the Himalaya and China and North America has lots of yummy, like the bleeding hearts and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's basically getting on top of um, organising myself to dig and wash and divide so that I can fill orders and things, which is fabulous. Mm-hmm. It's fabulous that I've got orders to fill. So Yeah, yeah. 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 So that's, so that's um, where we're at mm-hmm. and I probably – need about three more months in my year um, to get everything done. I, I sort of look ahead going, well, when are things going to start moving and I've still got to dig and divide. And when you do it on a commercial scale, it it's the way of propagating it so that we can then have more things to sell. So um, it's not just the stuff that we've listed, it's things that I might only have, you know, five or six plants of that then I can divide into three or four and I need to do that each season so that eventually we can pass them on. Mm. And, and you know the seasons, uh, they march forward. In, oh, yeah. in production of horticulture, they march forward quicker than you think. <laughs> yeah. And you know, we're, you know, and as you are as well, we're thinking October, November, December now because mm. that's the activity we have to, or, or even propagation for perennials in, in pots have to be done in March for spring sale. So much of the industry in propagation sense is thinking six months in advance. Absolutely. And that time runs yeah. short pretty yeah. quickly. I mean, yeah. you know, yes, it's the start of winter and we're, you know, not even the longest, the shortest day yet. Yeah. But we're already thinking spring. We're yeah, We're well and truly sure. into spring. Yeah. yeah. So, same in the magazine world. Mm. We're already moving into September issue. Yeah. Already thinking about that. Isn't it that, fun so writing that. about the, be- the beauties of spring and, not, you know. <laughs> Sitting when there with the, the dip- fire yes. burning. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it must be tricky f- um, for both of you in some sense because as as we were talking about we do rely i mean we 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 have to wait for nature essentially so what if the plants aren't ready for lifting or moving or something when well, when your calendar tells you that at the, it's at the time moment to pick them I'd, up? I'd be very pleased if they weren't <laughs> yeah. But, um yeah i get what you're saying sorry i'm making a joke of that um well i i think it's then rescheduling around plants too there's there's going to be something else that'll be ready you wait an extra week um but a lot of our perennials and that um are already died back or if they're starting to die back Mm -hmm. um you can still cut them off and divide um even some of the evergreens like there's a dyspiropsis pernii which is um from china's great little woodlander thing related to solomon seal if that would Mm -hmm. help people a bit 
Um, it's actually evergreen, but you can actually, you can chop it off, and um, all that new growth that comes is is just incredible too. So, and it doesn't have any detrimental effect on the um, rhizome underneath. So, mm-hmm. so you can pick your time a bit. Pick like your time. Some things are yeah. a bit more forgiving, aren't yes. they? Yes. Yeah. 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 Fabulous. And and what about you, Tim? I know you've sort of come and gone from diggers, and you've obviously been lured back. <laughs> <laughs> is that, that the, is yeah. that the same role, or have you moved to something different? Uh, so, well, actually, I think that's probably. I'm perhaps I'm emblematic of diggers in its in itself um, that diggers has moved or moving from a commercial um, seed and plant and um, membership organisation, um, and my role now is so we've I'm actually the CEO of the foundation, the Diggers mm-hmm. Foundation. So there's there's a couple of elements to the Diggers um, business operation. We have a club membership which people will be familiar with. You yep. can join up the Diggers Club and you get a magazine and you get online access and you get um, access to our gardens, those sorts of things. So we've got a couple of gardens. We've got Heronswood in Dramana and we've got Siddurth in Blackwood mm-hmm. and we also have an association with Cloud Hill and Alinda and a, and a shop in Adelaide Botanic Garden. So that's the club model. Um, and we've got about, well, we've got just under 90,000 members, So, which is across the whole country, um, which has wow. increased in the last, last couple of years. On you know, We've been fortunate with... The rejuvenated interest in gardening over the over the pandemic, pitching for a hundred thousand. We want to fill the MCG one day. We'll have a garden event at the MCG. <laughs> Beautiful, love the it. Yeah. Members, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the day we after can, grand final day, mate. Yeah. We can kick bulbs around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's that's the I guess the mainstay and what people are familiar with with, with what diggers is. But we also have a, a diggers a foundation. So everything that we do the. The profits that the Diggers Club generate are actually ploughed back into our not-for-profit charity, which is the Diggers Foundation, mm-hmm. which was established about uh, 10 years ago by Clive and Penny, our founders. So all the gardens are actually, except for Cloud Hill, uh, are owned by the foundation mm-hmm. and, the, and the business itself, the club, is owned by the foundation. Uh, and we're in the process now of developing more programs, more, um, uh, I guess, more activities and uh, our, our platform around seed-saving around preservation of garden varieties, uh, education, uh, and sort of acting in the model. I guess if people are familiar with the the RHS in the UK, um, the Royal Horticultural Mm -hmm. Society, that's the sort of model that Clive and Penny envisaged for for diggers Mm -hmm. going forward. Because they're... They're, you know, they're, they've been in, we've been around for 40 odd years now. Clive and Penny are doing less and less on a day to day basis and are handing over to something which is ongoing. And that's, that's my function really mm-hmm. is to, to steer the, 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 the next, next generation of the Diggers Foundation, the Diggers Entity, yep. um, to be something that's giving back to Australian gardens. Cloud Hill's a really good example actually because Cloud Hill, which many of you will know, Jeremy comes on the show and, um, Jeremy's a well-respected gardener and has created this beautiful garden in Alinda um, called Cloud Hill. That garden, he could, you know, what, what happens next? What happens when Jeremy and Val move on? Mm. Um, and there was a big question, you know, who is, you know, does he sell it to a, a private landholder that, that might might Chop not respect down. the garden? Yeah. yeah, it might disappear. It might become a tennis court. It might become a car park. It might Ugh. become something, who knows? <laughs> so we've actually, the, the Diggers Foundation has actually come to an agreement with Jeremy where... We will buy the property from him, as and he's, he gets to stay there as long as he wants. He's, you know, he's, but it's a, an agreement where we'll get to where he will get um, to hand it to the to the diggers club. We'll we'll buy it from him at an agreed sum that we've worked on with him, and then it goes beyond his life and mm. becomes part of this stable of gardens that that our club members and the general public can enjoy. 
So that was a long-winded answer. No, really good. Yeah, really yeah. good. And so with that sort of uh, setup, do you then commit or does Diggers then commit to um, selling plants from Cloud Hill? Ah, uh, yeah. Look, this is something we're doing right now. We're sort of yeah, we're we're as we're lifting this this. I mean, we've. If you look at where Diggers has been over the last twenty or thirty years, it's been mainstay commercial. Um, it's been we've been a, a, a simple commercial organisation. We're now now got a bit of space to do some things that are not sort of directly profitable. So we can finance things that are that are that don't pay back immediately. That's yep. the notion of a foundation. Um, so we're working on that with with all of our gardens is to create uh, an offer from those gardens that that people can buy. So. So the plant material that's in at Cloud Hill or at St Earth or at, at Heronswood are particular to those gardens. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're working with the nursery team to propagate some of those lines so that you can have them available to people. So, you know, the the we've got it's a, it's a big mission of ours in the year coming to to lift um, the the range that sits at Cloud Hill. Yeah, because I know, I mean, as you know, I'm part time at Karanga Native Nursery and. The display gardens that we've got around there, they're so valuable for people and they're valuable for staff as well. So you can actually see, see what, what a plant is going to become. Be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think this is the advantage that someone like Karanga or we at Diggers have is you, it's, it's not so much the shop or the, the pot with the label. I mean, the traditional, and I've worked in traditional or more mainstream horticulture where you walk into a garden centre and really all the information you get is what's on the label. Mm. Um, and you don't know how big it's going to be or you know, how's it going to perform, what sort of circumstance. You, you can pick up a bit of that. But to have a display garden like you have at Karanga or like we have at our gardens, it's, there it is. It's, it's a invaluable. living catalogue. Yeah. And that's what we use to draw the inspiration in the, in the, um, the material for our online offer or our catalogue offer. Now, we don't, we don't list any plant material unless we've grown it ourselves mm-hmm. and had that experience with it. So, and there are things, <clears throat> pardon me, there's plenty of things that we reject because um, they don't sort of fit what our garden types are or what we consider to be an appropriate garden plant. Yeah, and I think maybe uh, general gardeners don't always necessarily appreciate the years and years of work that goes into then presenting a plant on the nursery shelf, so to speak, that we know is going to be a good garden plant. It's not only the breeding, it's growing for years and years. A lot of um, places, they grow them around Australia so they can get a good sense of where it's going to perform well, where it's going to suffer, and uh, and then they're sold in the nurseries. Yeah, there's a lot more that happens behind the scenes before that beautiful little pot gets presented Yeah, or, um, you know, bulbs get packaged up or or things. And and you're right, I think, um, you know, we pride ourselves on growing all our own stuff too, uh, whereas there's a a lot of imported bulbs and things that come into the country each year that, A, you know, have gone through that methyl bromide process and hot water treatment and, and they're not acclimatised, mm. but they go straight in a packet and mm. into a garden centre. And people say to me, oh, so are hyacinths annuals? I'm like, well, no, they're not meant to be. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and that's the issue. And yep. um, that's the sort of flip side of not growing these things yourself is that gardeners get disillusioned mm. and, and um, you you lose those sort of customers that would get joy out of a hyacinth coming back every year mm-hmm. um, because they're basically sort of throwing money away. Yeah, um, It's also value too, I think, mm. is that um, – yeah, plants like, and there's that, I guess, an old comparison between annuals and perennials. You know, there was a, a big movement 
you know, a generation or so ago where it was bedding plants and it was all it was you know you you change your pots or your your bedding display every season but perennials and bulbs are are far more economical because they come back every year. Like mm. something like a hyacinth, yeah, buy it once. Mm. If you consider it to be an annual, it costs you, I don't know, five bucks or whatever it costs, yep. and it's gone. But if you know you can plant it again or plant it and it comes back every year, mm. it's yeah. and a dividend every year and a multiply. Yeah. naturally and things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Investment. I th- it, and I agree with the um, whole thing of the garden – um, and your display garden at Karanga and things, because when you go into a nursery that is surrounded by plantings of what you've got, it's so much more appealing um, as as a buyer mm. too. Um, as a, you, you can see that it's growing over there and it's growing quite well. Um, it's not just stuck on a shelf. Yep. And um, so hats off to diggers. Well done. Mm. Oh, and I always think that when well, I'm going to have a little dig at the big box store here, but you, you park in a car park with a couple of lamandras and a um, maybe a tree. Yep. And that's if all you're you've got as you walk yep. in. So or you might yeah. have an andina. Oh, yeah, you might have an andina, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yeah, you don't have much choice to look at. And that's not what they're setting up to do, and that's, it's, that's, that's not um, that mode. But if you want to get some inspiration and some joy out of your selection process, yep. you can go to Karanga, you can come to us and you can actually enjoy the garden mm. to be inspired as you're walking as well. around. It's yeah. part yeah. of the experience. Because it's yeah. set out perfectly, you know, there mm. like Karanga's got the um, the taller tree area. Yeah, and the then, ground and covers then there's small the marshland mm. yep. area and stuff that's it's just beautiful. Yep. And and Heron, Heron's Woods the same. Like you can go there and see what's growing under the big deciduous trees and things and yep. um lo and behold on the way out there's a pot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> impulse buying. Yeah, yeah, well, that's good. Visit the shop on the way out. Yeah, yes, <laughs> no, that, that that's very true. And I mean, let's face it: even as um, trained horticulturalists, it can be tricky trying to work out what you want to grow, etc. Let alone for people who don't necessarily have that experience. And the, I see them; they come to the nursery and they are completely bamboozled. And then when they say, "Oh, I've got," a shady position, the soil's pretty heavy, um, there's a couple of big trees nearby, what can I plant? And very quickly you can narrow that mm. choice down for them. So instead of thousands of plants that they've got to contend with, you say choose between these ten plants and mm. this will give you a bit of height and I, this is a logo. I think it's really good to hear actually. I think that the first thing, for, and this is for listeners at home who are not sure what to plant or, or how to how to sort of kick off a garden mm. plant, the sorts of questions that people are asking you there, those observations, shady, heavy soil, yep. they're, they're really key, good observations. Yep. Like if they know that, if they don't know that, then they've got to go back and do a bit more homework before they come and start looking at plants. Um, and I often think, you know, I often recommend to people, if you're in a suburban area or wherever you are actually, walk around or observe other people's gardens before you kick into your own, before mm. you, and you can see, okay, what what is that thing? What is what's working here? Yeah, uh, and then be aware of where your aspect and your soil, and then you can come to to Karanga or come to us and say, this is the circumstance that I've got, and we'll be able to help that yeah. list of that list that you then come up with yeah. is much more it, rather than I want a red flower or I want some nebulous concept. It's yeah. it's. Okay, well, I can give you, I can help you here. Yeah, and then you narrow it down to flower colour at the very yeah, end. Tell point, me what yeah. colours you don't like and then that narrows that palette even mm. more and just makes it a lot easier. But there is a lot of places that actually don't do that. Like, that what, oh, that's exactly do. right, yeah. Um, yeah. 
and I think that's all about proper customer service and things and and it's about loving the product that you've got yeah and and wanting the person to have as much success with that product too um and, and honesty you the amount of people at Melbourne Flower Show that you know I've talked about it before that oh can I grow lily of the valley I, I live in um middle of the city somewhere or whatever no you can't Yep. Just you'll have to put it back. I'm really sorry. <laughs> take you. Jane's um, not going to let you take no. it. And, and then they say, "Oh, thank you for your honesty." And I'm like, "You get a bit taken aback because why aren't people honest about yep. it? Be, because a this great little plant's just going to die. So what's yep. the benefit to everybody then? Um, so you know, I think if you can go into your nursery and say, "I've got." heavy soil, shady, everything, the person behind the counter should be able to say, oh, great, I've got this, this and this for you, yep. not, oh, okay, oh, good, <laughs> you know. Like it just – but that's what happens and I, yep. and I think that upsets a lot of people and then they end up buying the wrong plants yeah. and stuff yeah. and then then gardening doesn't become fun and that's no I think that's I think no it's kind of incumbent on us as professionals. I think there's mm. a, an adage that I would give which is a good no – is better than a bad yes. Yeah. So because if you if you just say to someone, oh, yeah, if, if your recommendation is, yeah, that'll work, no problem, and they go and fail, we're mm. not doing our industry, we're not mm. doing our... You're not our, doing yourself a favour no either, I don't think. Certainly not yeah. the person who's yeah. having a plant die. Yeah. Mm. So, yes, we've got an obligation to help people. Yeah, yeah. and as you say, even walking around the neighbourhood, sure, you might not want to grow what you see in other people's gardens, but at least if, if we know, okay... Azaleas and other things are doing really well in that area. That gives you a bit mm. of an indication as to what the soil might be like and what mm. sorts of things might succeed. Yep. So, yeah, the more, the more information, the better, I say. Well, mm. I should let everyone know that this is the 3CR Gardening <laughs> Show, which I'm sure most people have figured out. I'm A.B. Bishop and I'm in the studio with Tim Sanson from Diggers and Jane Tonkin from Tonkin's Bulbs. And we are prattling about all things gardening today. Unfortunately, we do not have a producer, so we cannot take calls, but people can certainly text us. And the text number is 0488. 809-855. So feel free to text your question or comment or etc. from the warmth of your bed while you're drinking a cup of tea. I don't hate you. Um, <laughs> she and, just dislikes you a little bit. Just yep. a little bit, yeah. And I, we have a mere three um, community announcements to read out, so I will get to those. Uh, so this first one is for next weekend, so the 18th and 19th of June, Melbourne Polytechnic Floristry and Yarra Edge Nursery are, pre- are presenting a winter flower exhibition at the Villa Alba Museum in Kew. Uh, and it showcases floral designs from established and emerging floral artists and um, there's the Villa Alba's incredible interiors that are set as a backdrop for these uh, contemporary flower displays. And so that's on the Saturday and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. You can go to the Villa Elbow Museum website uh, for more details. I'm pretty sure it's a booking situation. Um, yeah, so that's the Melbourne Polytechnic and Yarra Edge Nursery Floristry Exhibition. What do I have now? Oh, we have a 
P seminar. So everything around um, the family of peas, not specifically green peas from the garden, but we're talking that Australia has a lot of uh, peas. And um, it's not happening until October, but early bird registrations shut at the end of June. So we thought we'd start reading it out. So this is the FJC Rogers Seminar, uh, which is held every second year. I seem to recall. Um, and this is on the 15th and 16th of October. It will be held in Mount Evelyn this year. And you can learn all about Australian pea flowers. Uh, there's going to be uh, speakers from around the country and, and local speakers, of course. Topics include identification, propagation, horticulture around them, i.e. how to use them in the garden, and lots of fascinating research. There's going to be books about peas for sale. There'll be a garden bus tour on the Sunday and a dinner on the Saturday night. It's hosted by the Australian Plant Society Maroondah Group. And if you want any more information, you can go to, it's quite a long um, long address, sorry, APS, as in Australian Plant Society, vic.org.au forward slash FJC dash Rogers dash seminar dash 2022. Um, and... The price for early birds is a hundred dollars, and then after then it's a hundred and fifteen dollars, and that entitles you to all of Saturday's lectures. There's the dinner on Saturday night, which is forty five dollars, which of course includes speakers, and the uh, garden bus tour on Sunday is seventy eight dollars. So we will be spruiking that one a bit before then, but uh, I know there's um, lots and lots of people registered already. Uh, still plenty of places though, so that's the P seminar. Okie dokie. The last one for today is the Friends of Burnley Gardens. Um, are running a talk called Climate Ready Trees, which is a talk by John Fitzgibbon, founder of Metro Trees. It's on Wednesday the 15th of June and it's essentially just Zooming from the comfort of your own home um, or you, you can Zoom from the comfort of your own home. John is the owner and managing director of Metropolitan Tree Growers, otherwise known as Metro Trees, and he's talking about trees for a changing climate. Metro Trees was established 24 years ago with the overriding ambition of growing trees that had the best contemporary thinking and practices incorporated into their production. Um, so this is on Wednesday, the 15th of June, 7 p.m. Um, and the talk actually starts at 7.30. It's $10 for members, $20 for non-members, and you can book at TryBooking, which is the W's, trybooking.com forward slash B-Z-U-M-V. So that sounds like a very good segue to I'm um, mm -hmm. looking at Tim, <laughs> and I know he's very excited about talking about trees and all sorts of yeah, things. Yeah, that's a great segue. In fact, the yeah. subject matter of that that yep. little exact topic thing. is exactly what um, one of the, the uh, key stories that, that we're um, running with diggers at the moment. Mm -hmm. we're, um, <clears throat> late last year, um, we put together a book 
Um, well, it was a compendium that Clive put together with um, Clive Blazy, our founder, um, called We Speak for the Trees, um, which picks up on the theme of the Lorax, Dr. Seuss's Lorax, uh, and the the the, the onceler who was chopping down all the trees that the Lorax was the saviour of, mm-hmm. which incidentally is its 50th anniversary this year for oh. those of us that grew up with that book. Um, that makes me feel really old. <laughs> <laughs> it does a bit for me too. Um, so, yeah, we... Um, you know, with with I guess the uh, us as gardeners have a um, you know we've and at Diggers we've had a, a long history around food production, food gardening. Um, uh, we've we've been you know, I guess at the forefront of heirloom uh, vegetable cultivation and preservation mm-hmm. in Australia, um, and then home food production, and a lot of that has a a, a um, an impetus around how we as gardeners can be. Uh, play our part in a sustainable world. Um, so, you know, we're reducing food miles, we're um, growing local community varieties, those sorts of things. Um, and trees are a natural segue. It's something that, in fact, I, look, I was looking back at a, a digger's catalogue, a seed catalogue from 1986 the other day. We are sort of going through the archive, which is interesting. Front cover is a ginkgo, mm-hmm. and we were selling ginkgo seeds back then. Um, and we had a whole page of, of trees. You know, there was Tagasasti, and there, you know, a, this is back in the you know mid eighties. Um, and this is so. This has been a mission of Clive's in particular for the last thirty or forty years to, um, I guess, broaden the, uh, the palette of trees that are planted by Australian gardeners. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of work done, a lot of um, information gathering done in botanic gardens across um, across Australia. We have a huge resource of botanic gardens and. Um, in fact, you know, I think we are blessed with some of the best botanic gardens in the world. Melbourne, in particular, is yes. a, Melbourne, Adelaide, Canberra, Brisbane. These are fantastic botanic gardens which have got trees in them that have been planted by our uh, forebears who were very forward-looking. So there's these great examples of trees that are growing in, for instance, in the Melbourne and Adelaide botanic gardens. We've got a a, a black bouillong, a, gy- a gyrodendron species that grows naturally on in New South Wales um, hinterland. Um, and it's, but it performs – you would think, okay, it's a sort of subtropical rainforest tree, but it performs particularly well in the Melbourne Botanic Gardens, in the Adelaide Botanic Gardens, as a native shade tree that is fire-retardant, deep shade, and is, and is beautiful form and shape. So some of these the sort of, I guess, trees that are <clears throat> outside of our are, – are often – um, go-to palette are the sorts of things that we're featuring in our book. Um, we recently went uh, on tour to those botanic gardens and did some um, book launch discussions around the sorts of trees that people are selecting. Uh, and we got really, we have a really good following in Adelaide, and there was lots of discussion around the trees that are in the Wait Arboretum. I don't know if either of you have come across the Wait Arboretum. Haven't been. It's no. well, it's well, it's it's an interesting place because it's it's associated with the university in Adelaide. Um, and it's a, an area that's planted with a whole bunch of trees that are from across the world, uh, but never irrigated. So, and it's, this is Adelaide climate. So, and there's an app you can get, the Wait Arboretum app, and it plots every tree and its history and when it was planted and where it comes from. And this is a huge resource for people to draw on. So it's those kind of resources that we've, we've drawn on mm-hmm. to build a selection of trees that are appropriate for... You know, for small gardens in some instances, or for some you know medium landscapes, and and for you know we've about half our membership are in rural areas too, so we've got a bit more room. So yeah, um, and and the the role that trees can play in terms of carbon sequestration and cooling our our our, our backyards and our living environments, I 
you know, I, I walk through, as I've confessed to before, I walk around suburban streets looking at gardens. <laughs> and, but I have this sort of fantasy in my head that imagine if it all came together as a, as a canopy or as a, as a contiguous um, uh, ecosystem. Mm. It doesn't have to be what was here before. And I think this is an important point. We can um, – our cities and our urban environments are significantly altered, you know, in the last 200 years since – since white colonisation and all the development. But now it's time to be smart. And it sounds like, you know, Metro Tree's doing the same sort of thing. It's time to be smart about our tree selections. Um, so and, and so smaller trees or trees that are got drought resistance but are still got deep shade that are fire resistant. I mean, we've got an urban fringe, we talked on, touched on this before, that is on, the, on that margin where fires are going to already impacting on people's lives. So how do we plant around that as well? So these are obviously some of the considerations that, or I don't know, maybe you have a checklist and it's how big is the tree, how much shade, how, yep. the, the canopy size, the, the roots, et cetera, et cetera. They're all things that you work through when you're yep. looking at selecting plants for the diggers list? Yeah, so we do that for across the range. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we've... Oh, it's probably twenty or thirty years ago, we um, we went to the USDA climate zone model, the hardy plant hardiness model, uh, which was around survivability of cold principally. We adapted that for Australian conditions. We also put into that a heat tolerance and growing days associated with you know with with Australian conditions. And all of our plants, including the trees that are in this book and are in our in our current list, have a heat and cold zone recommendation. They have a height recommendation. There's a, a series of symbols that, that we put on our website and mm-hmm. our catalogues. That, that so, and in fact, if you jump on our website, there's a, a selector tool where you can select, you know, this height. You know, we were talking before about someone coming in with wow. sandy soil or shade or yeah. those sorts of parameters. You know, you can you can choose off those to whittle down your selections as well. Yeah, and does it take? I mean, it obviously takes into account the human experience. Does it take into account the fauna experience of plants as well? well I'd like to say we don't. That's not not something that we've got the data on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not something that we can sort of vouch for. Um, but I think you know when you think about. What trees do, they provide habitat. I mean, I know that in my own garden I've got, well, not just trees actually, garden plants in general, There's the more life you've got, the more life you create. Um, that's a, it's a, not a, a concise answer, but I think there is, I, I think we don't have that information in here, but in an urban environment where there is nothing and you can create a garden or a, a living space that provides a complexity of whether it be branching or whether it be flowering or whether it be shelter, then you're providing the elements that mm. create habitat. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think there's certainly more nuances, of course, and I know you'd know that to mm. it to it all in in terms of what animals will breed when particular trees are around and etc. But yeah, I mean, when you look at spaces that are devoid of anything or just have um, ornamental turf or things like mm. that, I mean, there's really no comparison between that and having something. And as you say, these trees which aren't huge, towering monoliths that are going to fall on people's houses, but they are certainly going to cut that sun and provide mm. shade and, and drop the temperature of, of suburbs. And and I guess play that important role in connecting us to nature. Mm. There's, um, you know, we've, in an urban context, it's it's... Um, it's worth thinking about what it is 
the urban forest is, and the urban forest isn't what the forest would have been before there was an urban environment. Mm. It's now something different Very that we different. live in. Yeah. Uh, so how do we make? How do we be active with that and conscious with our selections? Yeah. So there's a guide. The book's got a guide of um, which you know small trees or flowering trees, or there's a section on on fire resistant oaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some, you know what are the things that we can plant? I mean we've got. Cloud Hill's a good example, but St Earth is, a, is another great example. St Earth is a garden in the middle of the Wombat State Forest, mm-hmm. so not an urban garden but a, a truly bush garden really. And the creator of that garden was Tommy Garnett, who was the predecessor to Digger's ownership. Um, and there's a, uh, a 1850s stone miner's cottage at the centre of the garden and around that there's a big pin oak, there's a big um, a tilia tree, a linden tree, uh, and it's got a Prunus lusitanica. So these evergreen or, or deciduous um, sort of lush leaf green things and a, and a lawn, quite deliberately with a lawn and a herbaceous border at the front, which is the bit of the garden that gets watered. Mm-hmm. That is all part of a fire, um, fire prevention or fire, um, fire management scheme. Yep. Uh, it's, it's To walk around there generally, you probably wouldn't think that. you think, oh, it's just a beautiful garden with some flowers and a lawn near the house. But it actually is quite deliberate, which goes back to Tommy's time on how you design a garden in a fire-prone area. Yep, beautiful, which, um, yeah, very very important. And we are certainly getting more and more knowledge around it about Mm. not only what's um, going to burn but the fire-retardant plants and those that might trap embers, all the nuances of it rather than just does it have oil and will it explode. Yes, and there's a lot of nuance in that. I think, I mean, even even in our own list, you know, we've got um, some some pin oaks, uh, we've got stone pine, uh, we've got... And I think the jury's out on this one. We've got a there's an evergreen oak, the holm oak, uh, which is Quercus ilex. There's scant research on that we know of of whether it's fire, what its fire behaviour is. Mm-hmm. And this is something that that we'd like to do is actually run that run that sort of look out if yeah. you've got a, an oak tree. Yeah. Tim's on his way. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming your way with a box of matches. Yeah. No, I'm not going to do that. I, I think I'd put my money behind it being um, pretty good as a fire retardant. Yeah, it's um, it's. I think you're probably right, but I don't. We can't, we can't find can't the data. That. That's yeah. the no, point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of you know rhodes and camellias and things like that planted around the the border of your garden and things are, are great fire retardant resistant mm. sort of um, plantings too. That, yeah, uh, and and I think from the areas we all live in, we have to sort of think about um, that when you're adding trees and things. So fabulous idea that um, you can promote that too. Yeah, and. Out of interest, do do you take into consideration the regeneration of the plants or lack of regeneration if a fire does actually go through? Really hard to do the research on yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and as I said before, the yeah, a lot of our inspiration came from the botanic gardens. They don't often get fires through mm. the botanic gardens, although I guess at, at, at Cranbourne that's sort of fire ecology is, is a focus. Mm. Um, so I guess the short answer to that is no, um, but... I think that's the direction we want to head. This is mm. the sort of thing that um, as our foundation gets some legs, we would like to fund the sort of research in this sort of thing. So Because in a truly Australian context is how do we how do we know that this or not, this is the case or not the yep. case. Um, you know, I, 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 think, I think of something like a, um, a California redwood, the, the Sequoia sempervirens, huge tree, um, and there are some beautiful plantations of it in Victoria. There's, you know, one in, in the Otways at Beach Forest. Ironically, at Beach Forest, there's a, oh, yeah. a Coast Redwood <laughs> plantation. Um, but they have a, um, 
they have like a mallee root when they're in their first 20 years of their life or they sort of develop a whole heap of root system underground mm-hmm. before they really do a lot of growth up. Um, so a fire or a, even a coppicing arrangement, like foresters will use this. Um, um, Rowan Reed, who's a forester down in, in uh, the Otways, mm-hmm. he has plantations and has done some research around the whether you can coppice them and grow new wood yep. uh, off the same root system and reduce soil erosion. So there's good timber, yep. it's, it's uh, regenerative, it, um, and it controls soil erosion. So there are some species out there that will survive a, a, um, uh, a disturbance like a fire or, yeah. or a harvesting. But, look, I don't know if I could tell you that for all of these. It's yeah, not been course. one of the things yeah, that we've, yeah, we've done investigation. I'd like to. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. All right, this is the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm A.B. Bishop and I'm in the studio with Jane Tonkin and Tim Sansom. So we're going to get through to some texts now um, and they're coming through thick and fast so we'll hopefully uh, get through most of them. Um, John from Hurstbridge. Hi John has got three agonis from Karanga to plant. Can I do it now or should I wait until spring? Um, And when and a comment on feeding natives so um, I guess I'll go ahead and Mm -hmm. answer this one and say it sort of does depend on what size pot. I would be inclined to wait until spring, um, if, especially if you're talking about Agonis flexuosa, the WA peppermint. Um, yeah, the soils have really cooled down a lot now. I would be inclined to wait. You could potentially pot it up into a bigger pot. If it's in a six-inch pot, you could go the next size up just using a, a native potting mix uh, and just nurture it through until spring. Uh, but yes, I, I would pretty much be holding off on that for now. Um, in terms of feeding natives, I mean, it really does depend on what you've got in the garden because, of course, you, you want to be feeding them sort of, you know, maybe just before they're coming into flower, depending on what you've got. And things are flowering. I mean, we've got our croyas and corias and course the wattles are about to start flowering now and uh, so it does depend on what you've got in your garden I mean if you just gave your garden a feed twice a year that would pretty much cover everything and just use a native organic fertilizer or even um, organic um, pelletized fertilizer would be completely fine and, uh, I guess seaweed. there's a traditionally a sense that natives don't need a feed what would you say to that I would say they look they I mean, nothing really needs it mm. in, in some sense, but they really thrive. Enjoy it. They yeah. enjoy They'll it. They'll do better and with They feed, will like do much do. better yeah. with a feed, mm. absolutely. I mean, it is one of those myths that you don't need to water, you don't need to feed, etc. But if, if you want your plants to absolutely thrive and give you their best, then, mm. yeah, feed them. Does Karanga sell a native yeah. food? Yeah, so, so we have our own. Yeah, we have our own mix, and then um, which is called two and one. So, and then Angus Stewart, we also sell uh, one of his native fertilizers, which is a, a pelletized fertilizer, organic pelletized fertilizer, and they're both, of course, extremely low in phosphorus. In fact, I think the Karanga one doesn't have any phosphorus at all. Uh, just obviously, being that most uh, native plants. Um, don't like too much phosphorus they've grown up in soils that are pretty much um, very very depleted in phosphorus and nutrients generally so they just they don't need it it's interesting that they've evolved in a phosphorus free environment but they don't respond if if you were to provide extra phosphorus that's just 
Useless well, a lot them. of them die. Yeah. And, and I mean, the you're thing, not worse than useless. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, <laughs> and, and it's not necessarily that they, some of them don't need it as such, because uh, you look at plants in the Proteaceae family, our, our Banksias and Hakeas and Grevilleas, etc. They've developed the proteoid roots, which are extremely adept at sucking phosphorus out of the soil. So it's not that they don't actually need it, it's just that they can get it. They can get those small amounts that are in the soil just with their roots. And if you start throwing around a high phosphorus fertiliser, they, yeah, respond really badly very quickly. Mm. And, and it'll, most... it'll just wash away too, which then mm. goes into our waterways. That's, mm. that's a very good point, mm. yeah. So, yeah, I fertilise a couple of times a week. Now I'm going back to our list. Um, So what do we have here? Oh, someone has texted in, I believe the Diggers Foundation are about to design and plant an arboretum. Yeah. Well, the arboretum itself actually is, it's part of Clive and Penny's family project. So it's Mm -hmm. actually a Blazy arboretum. Um, So it's not technically part of what we do at the foundation, but we're learning a lot from the process that, mm-hmm. that we are then um, putting back through in our book and our magazine. So there's a property that um, that Clive and Penny own up near Seymour, so central Victoria, mm-hmm. which is a family property. It's a river flat property, so it's got it's sort of granitic hills with uh, alluvial flats. There's... Um, and there's a Oxbow Billabong in there as well. It's a pretty Sounds nice stunning. place. And in fact, back oh, this is going back probably thirty odd years, Diggers actually set up, or well, Clive set up a, an education centre there. It was mm-hmm. going, and, and we actually did. And in the first iteration of uh, heirlooms in, in that Diggers were doing back in the mid nineties, the it that's where a lot of our seed was grown. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, our farm where we did trials. A lot of the trial work that was the initial phase of our heirloom um, introduction came from this property. Um, but in subsequent years, um, it's had a, a few other um, uh, purposes. But Clive's vision is to see this as a an arboretum that will be something that's going to be there for generations. So you don't go into a tree project, an arboretum project, with a short-term vision. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, you go into it with a long-term vision. He's been working with a couple of silver culturalists uh, and landscape designers. Um, Peter Marshall, who's um, up from Braidwood, is a, a truffle grower and is also a, uh, a well-renowned forester, uh, as well as Andrew Laidlaw from the, uh, from the Botanic Gardens landscape designer. And they've worked on this the grand design. There's probably about 20 or 30 species that will go into it, um, so not an, an enormous range, but to really feature them in um, dedicated planting. So not yep. just one specimen here, one there. A landscape design with big groves of um, particular species, Some of the, and many of the species that are featured in the, in the book. Yep. Do so, you have a favourite that they're going to put in, Tim? Uh, well, Clive's favourite, because mm. it's okay. his arboretum, yeah, yeah. Is a ginkgo tree. He's, he's very big on Yum. ginkgos. Uh, so there's there's swathes of ginkgos going in, which you can wait. imagine when they get going, there'll be this wonderful oh. copses of of you know beautiful golden. Thank foliage. you, Clive. Yeah. <laughs> and, and a mixture of male and female, so you'll get some get pollination, some, some seed, seed, and some and, and some further yeah. generation. Um, I mean, ginkgo is a fascinating tree in its yeah. own right. Um, it, it, we've in fact just this week on our social media, we had some debate. And some discussion around the origin or the the nativism of of a ginkgo. So there's and it's where you define a native or a non-native. Mm-hmm. 
ginkgo, there's fossil records of ginkgos in the Latrobe Valley in carbon deposits uh, from the Cretaceous. So, so can we claim the ginkgo so as our own? It's going to be a bit like yeah. the Pavlova debate, <laughs> yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So is it <laughs> So yeah. are we going to claim it? But I guess it demonstrates. I'd like to claim it. It's, it's, yeah, well, it's, for sure. It's an ancient tree. In fact, yeah. ginkgos are special in that they have no other relative. They're, they're yeah. a fern-like tree. They're, they're, they produce a seed. They're, um, so they're kind of like a living fossil. Mm. Uh, and they have popped up in various places across the world. And we think of them as, as endemic to China. But there's some theory that they're actually introduced into China um, from other regions. Um, so... Uh, yeah, so ginkgo, short answer to that. That perfect. long answer to that short yeah. answer, short question. You know, that was the most perfect answer. I could have <laughs> Jane's happy. Yeah, <laughs> um, my favourite tree too. So I, I can't wait. It, so this arboretum will be open to. It will eventually. Or? So this is a. So as I said, this is. It's not a public. It's, it's actually not part of diggers at the moment. It will no, be. It's Clive their and Penny's intention. Yeah. It's their family actually. Mm. So it's Clive and Penny and their kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's their big mission. So cast your heads. You know, we've got to be patient with trees. Exactly. Twenty years time, we'll yep. be walking around those those as Beautiful. part of an open part of the diggers' in a suite of gardens. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, and I guess that's probably fair too. Is that the first ten years or so of an arboretum, not a lot to see. Mm. So let's give it some time to mature. Yep. Mm. Beautiful. And the book, um, sorry, Tim, can people buy that online yeah. on the diggers? Yeah, you can get via, via our website is the best yep. place to go. It's called We Speak for the Trees. It's it, a beautiful book. If you jump on, the, jump on the website, through. you'll see the front cover is actually a picture of Clive in that. Redwood. Tree. That's the redwood forest in the in Beach Forest, yep. um, which is the California redwoods growing in Victoria, mm. um, which I don't know if anyone's ever been to a it, – it's quite a different experience to go to a forest like that. Uh, it is a plantation forest. It's not a native forest, mm. but it's got its own, I guess, um, atmosphere. You know, yeah. we're, we're used to forests in Australia, native forests, which have a kind of open canopy. Gum trees have a, you know, they're... Undergrowth. Uh, undergrowth. Yep. Uh, yeah, and there's no undergrowth yep. here, which is part of what it is. Um, but it's cathedral-like, big. Yeah. And I guess you drive, when I drive up to Monbulk and, mm. you know, up, up there, the, you get those, the, the mountain ash trees the Ragnans, are probably the, yep. yeah, the, they're, they're yep. probably the closest. But this is something altogether different. Yeah, it ha- it has a almost haunting feeling. Yeah, it's I've been to, yeah, I've mm. been to the one at um, East Warburton. Yes, yeah, and it's fabulous when there's basically no one else there. Mm. Um, but they it, that one gets extremely busy. Well, they both do. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. because you can just stand there and take time to look up. Mm. the The canopy is phenomenal. Mm. Um, there's nothing else like it, and yet yeah, there is that. Because they're so huge and tall and um, statuesque kind of um, thing, it, it is that cathedral kind mm. of feeling. Mm. Uh, and I think any any forest or garden or anything that can evoke emotion and things in people um, is doing its job. Mm. Which yeah. they do, don't they? Yeah. yeah. In, well, it should. In, it should, yeah. yes, yeah. exactly. Mm. Um, all right. Question from Jimmy from Heathmont. Hi, Jimmy. Would like to know about controlling citrus gall wasp and thoughts around the kale and clay, cutting into the gall, etc. Thoughts? So, well, citrus gall wasp is it's one of those things that you get from your neighbour's place. Yeah, well, mm. if you don't control it yourself. So it's a really difficult one to control if you're in an area where you've got other citrus trees that are not in your control. Yeah. So the thing you can do to con- – really the only way to control it is to actually cut, cut the galls it. out. 
uh, and then cut cut the tree back quite hard. Uh, and then it's then, I guess it's then, if they're going to come in from nearby if there are trees that are infested nearby because the little gall wasps will get around. So then it's close inspection and it's the timing of the year. Once you've seen the gall itself, once the gall's swelling up and you're way past any Too form late. of yep. control, it's new growth in the spring looking to see if you can see any blisters or markings on the, on the, um, on the stem um, and intervening at that point. Um, but trying to get rid of as much of the gall as you possibly can. And if you, do, if you are in a position where you can cut all the gall off, um, you know, these, so the galls for those people at home trying to envisage, they're like a, a lump in the stem um, of, of citrus with, and you'll see little holes in it. That's where the, the, the wasps get in and out. So you need to cut that. Now, clearly you can't cut that off without removing the whole branch, but so you have to do that. Um, <clears throat> and then the best way to deal with that actually is to burn them. Mm-hmm. Like just sticking them in your green waste, that's Not only going to spread the problem. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I have heard people have had success with actually shaving half of the gall essentially you pretty much sort of just get a potato peeler out and shave around it okay and, um yeah essentially that creates an environment that lets the elements the, in correct and, yeah, yeah. Okay. well clearly that's going to yeah. ring bark the tree too or not you don't go oh, the whole way around oh, just one half <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah you just go around a yes. section of it yep. so yeah and what about the clay any Thoughts on that? Uh, the, uh, well, it, I guess the clay is a smothering agent, and mm. I suppose it'll block up the holes. But if, and, and you can and you can do it as a preventative across the whole thing. Um, I think that's probably quite an extreme measure to mm. go to to cover. The, I mean, people do do it though, don't they? Yeah. They sort of chop the bulk of the tree out and then and paint it in yep. this white cowling clay, which is sort of often used as a um, almost like a um, sunblock yeah. for, for a lot of trees. And, yeah, as you say, it creates that horrible rough sort of surface. That the and I think wasps it's, it's pretty extreme. Like. I mean, it, you're right, it's used as a, a sunscreen. For, yeah. it's, that's, that's not really a, a gall wasp prevent, preventative. It's mm. kind of a general um, protection. <clears throat> but we don't, really, we don't really have – I mean, citrus grown well love the hot sun, so they'll – they don't really need the kale and clay, I would say. Yeah. Mm. Okay, good. Right, onward and upward. Um, good morning. I have been attempting to germinate spear grass in a heat box with lights but never had in, never had good results. Do you have any suggestions? Is spear grass ostracipo? Is that what we're talking about? Not sure, actually. Um, potentially. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking, I mean, any... I mean, grasses tend to mm. generally, can I generalise here, say so germinate quite readily. So yeah. uh, maybe try doing something different. Yeah. Don't try it in a in a heat box with light. Just um, try it in in spring. Mm. Um, maybe a little bit of bottom heat wouldn't hurt at this time of the year. We uh, I worked for a period at Australian Ecosystems where we grew a hell of a lot of grasses for reveg um, work, and the process we, we could pretty much germinate them year round. It was, and it was a pretty simple process. Sprinkle the seed on top of, and this was in um, like hycos or cell trays. Uh, a light covering across the top, keep a bit of bottom heat and a mist. Really, I'm wondering if Peter's maybe burying them a little bit deep. Mm. Maybe. They want to be quite shallow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you could put a bit of grit or something on the top to yeah. for them to stick into. Mm. Yeah, so maybe maybe give that a go, Peter. Uh, people sending in appreciation for the show, 
so that's always nice. Yes. More of that. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll have more of that. Thanks. Yeah. Cool. Uh, okay, so what do we have here? Um, I have a Diplolina grandiflora, which is a native plant, also called the um, wild rose. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is actually flowering, what well, seems to flower all year. It's one of those incredible plants. I'm not sure if you guys know it, probably do. Um, it's about five years old in a large pot. Since summer, all the leaves have curled. No flowers. Leaves are still moist, but browning looks to be dying, although a branch cut yesterday was still greenish. That is from Janine. Um, Janine, I will say that diplolinas aren't necessarily long-lived, so five years, I'm wondering if it might be coming sort of towards the end of its life anyway and it's just starting to suffer a bit. I would also say when was the last time you potted it up um, or repotted it and just refresh that potting mix. Um, I mean, it can certainly take a bit of light pruning. You wouldn't give it a heavy prune. Uh, but, yeah, potentially refresh the potting mix Make sure it's draining well, although, I mean, if it's five years old, obviously it's in pretty good it conditions. Might, it it might be its time. Yeah, it you know, might it, be its time. It sounded time. like some, some Time facts. for some shopping. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. Um, in which case you'd completely clean out the pot and give it a good scrub and prepare yeah. it for your next inhabitant. Which, you know, that's part of the gardening life cycle. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't I, mind when something carks it because it means I can put something else put, in. Yeah. So, so true. You're well, depending on what it is. Actually. He's yeah. such a half glass full of yeah. it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> Nothing gets you down, Tim. That's great. <laughs> all right. So let's um, – I think we've reached all the questions now. Um, Tim, and, we're, and we're sorry it's a bit difficult to answer some of the text questions as well because we can't then fire back at yeah. you to find out stuff. More so, things, yes. Um, you know, if, if we're not covering something completely, maybe you could ring in next week. As well, yeah. Or text us back. Or text us yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Good, good point. Um, very important topic of conversation on our Uh-oh. list from Tim. On our long list <laughs> from Tim. <laughs> Sorry. What we're talking about lettuce. Let's talk lettuce. Yes, we've had lots of discussion. ten dollar lettuce. Let us, let us put a smile on Tim, your face. Tim's oh, brought a box in yeah. and he's selling them. If anyone wants <laughs> yeah. to come down. Yeah. Well, I did some calculations on this during the week because it was obviously a hot button topic for everyone. Mm. You know, a catastrophe because McDonald's are now using cabbage on their Big Macs or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so lettuce shortage, which is which goes back to what we talked about earlier, which was the the flooding um, flooding mm. rains in in, um, uh, in on the east coast, northern east coast earlier this year. And there's a lot of lettuce growers, iceberg in particular, who've not got a crop. Um, we've also got all the issues around. Well, there's broader issues around food security and. You know, cost of living, cost of uh, cost of imports, and all those sorts of things. So, you know, we were talking quite a lot about this this lettuce gate this week, um, and um, I did see some fantastic um, Twitter memes where you know there's a, the armor guard truck out the front of Woolworths. Here comes the next lettuce. iceberg delivery, and we did some calculations. So we've got you know we've got a whole bunch of lettuces, including Great Lakes, which is probably the the, the heirloom. It is the heirloom uh, standout iceberg lettuce. Uh, and for those of us that are growing lettuce at home, we're feeling quite pious at the moment. <laughs> Just we, watch your backyard. Yeah, yeah. But this was the calculation we did. Was that so? A packet of lettuce, a packet of Great Lakes, Lakes lettuce. It costs, uh, I think, it's four bucks, three dollars ninety-five if you're a club member. Um, and there's 120 seeds in that. Wow. We did the calculation. If every one of those seeds became a 
an iceberg lettuce that's one thousand three hundred and eighty dollars <laughs> yeah. you've got in commerce, even if you only eat a half, it's you know that's nearly. It's... Tim's going into lettuce farming. Yeah, so okay, yeah. so yeah, all those greenhouses with shady propagation going on them for the black market are now moving into lettuce production. Um, but I think it highlights a point that um, is a is a salient point for for us as gardeners, and especially those of us who like to dabble in a bit of home um, food production, that. There's not only the benefit of growing your own fresh mm. stuff. You can, if something like lettuce is a great example, you can sow it pretty much all year round. Um, you can sow in sequence, so don't sow. You don't really want 120 <laughs> lettuce all at once, unless you're on the open market um, for your own consumption. You, you want to you want to do some sequential sowing, and you can pretty much be self sufficient in salad greens throughout the year. Um, so. You know, for for those for those of us who've already got some in the, in the garden and are harvesting now, that's great. You can over you can sort of get through this price glut. Uh, if you're looking at something that's, um, I guess, a faster turnaround, you know, at this time of the year, I would say that probably the, probably the quickest and easiest um, simple crop to grow is sprouts and microgreens. So you know, there's a there's a whole heap of different sprouts which are radishes, which have got a bit of a spicy touch. Mustards also a bit spicy. Um, you've got the brassicas, you've got endives and the, um, and some of the other sort of uh, uh, mustard leaves, which are great for microgreens. And you can turn around a crop of those in less than 10 days as mm, a sprouting mm, crop. Mm. You can even sprout sunflower seeds and beans we, we know about. So if, if, if you're, people are wanting to sort of, um, uh, I guess, substitute their $12 lettuce <laughs> for something that they can fill their sandwich with or their... Put on their burger and those bun. Sprouts or salad greens are great. Mm. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, and they're really quick. Any time of the year, don't need any space to do it. You can do it on a balcony. You can even do it on the on the kitchen bench. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm a child of the '70s. I remember those decor stacked round. Um, still have them, Tim. Yeah, they, yeah, I, yeah. I, they still work. Yeah, I've still got one from yeah. that back then. Yeah. So it's, you know, I think the um, the discussion around lettuce pricing uh, and the, I guess the food food shortages we're seeing in in on supermarket shelves is something that's going to continue. If we're going to have a, a La Nina summer, if we're going to have increased disruption to food production through the the, the worst impacts of climate change, it's only going to get worse for the next mm. you know few decades. Then how can we take a bit more control? How can we go to local markets? How can we grow our own food to mm. some extent? Um, and, and I think that's it's it's a I guess it's a rational segue into growing food at home mm. but from where we sit the more people that are growing uh, vegetables at home the better it is for people generally mm. the other thing i'd say about lettuce is if you think about it from a home economy point of view uh, lettuce is a really easy crop to save seed from um, all the it, most of the lettuces that are on the market are open pollinated so they're not an f1 cross mm-hmm. so that means mm-hmm. that the, the seed will come true the following year um, and lettuce some some crops like Pumpkins or corn need isolations to maintain purity for yep. a particular variety. Lettuce is pretty straightforward, really. So it doesn't cross-pollinate it, ever? It's very strongly self-pollinating. Mm. So so it'll, you know, and we'll, anyone that's ever grown lettuce, particularly in the warmer months, will see the bolting. So yep. that's when they're going up to flower, and sometimes that happens too soon. Uh, and that can happen too soon when you don't water them enough or you've got uh, inconsistent water supply uh, in the summer particularly, so heat makes them bolt a bit. Um, so when they when they bolt up to flower, which is a natural thing for them to do eventually, uh, they get a single flower spike 
um, which if you've got two lettuces next to each other that are different variety and they bang against each other, you can get some cross-pollination. So what we do if we're saving lettuce seed is we'll put them at least three or four metres apart, Mm -hmm. which is ample separation. But for the most part, they're self self-fertile so the seed you collect off off one that that german that that produces a seed spike will come pretty much true um in fact in you know in a permaculture style garden where you've they just sort of self-seed and they will readily self-seed if you just don't disturb the ground you will pretty pretty much always have lettuce popping up throughout the year and you did mention pumpkins and they are known to be a little bit promiscuous and and cross so how do you prevent that happening down at diggers uh, a couple of methods so there's pumpkins are different. There's different pumpkins of different species. So there's pepo and you know, there's a couple of different species. So and you'll see in our catalogues, you'll see which ones are which species. Mm-hmm. So you can grow two pumpkins right next to each other if they're of a different species, because then it doesn't the pollen's not compatible. Mm-hmm. But if you've got two that are in the same species, it's really at the end of separation. Yep. So it has to be a distant separation. Uh, so, you, I mean, we all know if, if you collect seed, or, I mean, we'll get seed popping out, you know, pumpkin seed from our compost heap. If it's a supermarket uh, pumpkin, it'll throw to any weird, wonderful, gaudy kind of pumpkin mm, thing because mm. these are F1 crosses that throw back in a multitude of directions. So we all know that that happens and that's what – and if you don't do that separation, you can get these weird and wonderful things. So you've really got to make sure that you've got – a bee's flight, which is several kilometres, really, separation between between crops if they're of the same species to maintain purity. Yep. So, so, that, yeah. so impractical, in other words. Well, impractical unless you've got... So, for instance, up at St Earth, which is a long way from mm. anyone else, we can put two pumpkins in there, which are of different species, at the same time and guarantee that they'll, be, they'll, Either they'll end come of the... pure. Yeah, oh, because yeah. there's no others around. Yep. You can... In, in, you can also do exclusion, so you can put bee nets on things, you can do hand pollination. Um, but if we're growing pumpkin seed uh, at our trial and production garden at Dramana, we'll only do one pumpkin yeah, of okay. one species yep. in a given year. Yep. Yeah. Makes okay. sense. Mm. Very good. All right. Well, I'm just going to quickly throw to a community announcement. Hi, gardeners. Get ready to turn on and tune in to the Gardening Show's annual Radiothon. It all takes place on Sunday the 26th of June from 7.30 till 10am when you can help keep your favourite gardening show on air. As usual, we'll have great deals on seeds, organic products, gardening tools, nursery vouchers, magazine subscriptions and of course new and used green focused book titles. Or simply make a tax-deductible donation to support 3CR Community Radio and The Gardening Show. Please dig deep for the 2022 3CR Gardening Radiothon, 7.30 till 10am on Sunday the 26th of June. There we go. That just saved me reading it out. Yeah. <laughs> that was fantastic. Yeah, well, extra long program <laughs> for radio show too. Yeah, so the, the Radiothon, the 3CR Radiothon is on at the moment and we were just talking about it before. So it actually runs from the 6th 
to the 19th of June, but the gardening show's contribution to the Radiothon is on the 26th. So two weeks from today, this studio and the whole place will be a hive of activity um, with lots of volunteers running around and uh, guests here reading out all the different products. We've got some fantastic uh, things up for sale and services, all those sorts of things. And we're going to start posting a few of those on the socials soon as well so people will be able to get a visual idea this time of yeah. what's going on. And I know Jane has very kindly <laughs> donated. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I've decided that perhaps we might do a little exclusive guided tour of my greenhouses in the spring. Not sure whether we actually came up with a date, but I'll do that before the 26th so that we know what date we're going to have. I, I think we Did came we have... up with October, the maybe even the 1st or For, something. Yeah, it was, yeah it was actually October it was because then yeah. it was after grand final and all those sort of things. So <laughs> Important we've things, got time. Yeah. Um, so basically what it will be is um, if we get a dozen people yep. at the most, so it's a nice sort of more intimate little group, um, you will receive either wine or champagne on arrival or a cup of tea or water if you'd like and you take your little glass with you and I will give you a little bit of a tour through and talk about some plants that are in flower and a lot of the time that'll be that beautiful spring flowering sort of South African things like moraeas and romulaea and maybe some fritillarias still around and so we thought we'll do that for a while and then finish up with a cup of tea and if anyone's got any questions and things um, so those tickets will be um, available. Um, I assume we sell them on the 26th, do we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we do. We sell them on the 26th um, and we'll read out all that spiel. So please just don't embarrass me. Could 12 people just want to come and, <laughs> want to, want to come and play? Yeah. Um, oh, it's, a, yeah. it's a fabulous opportunity because, of course, we'll be wandering around and hopefully I'll be there. Yes, so Abby's going to come and um, help out I'm as gonna well. I'm going to make a cake. Um, she's going to make a cake and she's going to pour me my first glass of wine. Yeah. Notice I did say and, first and glass. And your last. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just think... Um, whenever I've done, uh, like we had a party in our Erythronium patch one year um, and I think walking around with a group of people and and talking about plants and um, their experiences and our experiences and things like that is great fun. So we've sort of set aside like two hours for it but knowing me, um, it'll probably go for three or something. So you're getting quite a good deal. (laughs) I think. <laughs> and we, we haven't worked out a price yet. But no, we haven't worked say, out a price there, yet. There will be, yeah, tickets for sort of, I think it was 12 to 15 people or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And, and, and it is for a good cause of keeping the radio station um, going and the gardening show going. So, you know, um, none of it's going sort of our way. It's all going to the, to the station. So it's for yeah. a really good cause. Um, Very kind of you. And I promise I won't run around naked. Oh, that's it. Not coming. <laughs> <laughs> Not coming. <laughs> but no, that, so that, it should, be, that it should sounds... be really a good fun yeah. thing to do. And yeah. we're very hard to find, so you will have to sort of ring and get some this directions. This is very exclusive. It's yes. very exclusive. It is. Yes. Rare yep. behind-the-scenes yep. access. Yep. Yep. You cannot see it from the road. No one can spy. Um, it'll be all good fun. Beautiful. Beautiful. Nice. And um, you're quite welcome to pull a hundred weeds while you're there. <laughs> yes. 
but you, you'll it's be giving good. us a little This might be a good job opportunity for <laughs> totally. people. It's, it's like a, you know, let's have a trial. Yeah. How good are you at weeding, I, baby? Yeah. I, I always mm. joke with, um, do you guys know Phil Dudman? Yes. So yeah. he's the horticultural editor of the Gardening Australia magazine and um, he also has these tours and inverted commas of his own garden. He grows a lot of produce. It's not a massive garden, but he always posts these pictures. He has people over that they pay him to come and get his knowledge and he has them digging beds and doing all <laughs> sorts of these planting yeah. things. I'm like, so, okay, so you, they pay you to come and work for you. Okay, mm-hmm. that's good. That, that's yes, smart. So, now there, there's an idea. It's a new model. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, new employment model. You know, it will be because we're hard to find and sort of a little bit off the beaten track and exclusive, we could lock the front gate, eh, babe? <laughs> <laughs> I can't get out. Yeah. Yeah. Until they're full to 100 weeks. Yeah, no. Sorry, yeah. we're trying to promote this, aren't we? So, yeah. We are. But a little bit of fun and um, just learning about some different things and seeing how we grow them I, I think would be a good idea. Fantastic, yeah. Plus there will be a couple of ready. Tonkin's vouchers, but these vouchers are going to be sort of exclusive to the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show next year. Very nice. Oh, so you can bring that along and oh, inspe- oh, spend wow. it. So we'll and add a couple, you had of, lots of couple of those in there. when we um, mm. do it. Yeah. You were very popular this year. Well, it was crazy. It was fabulous. <laughs> it was crazy, oh, wasn't it? Your, that that your Wednesday store. was yep. just a bit epic. I've never seen it like it's, it. Well, it was two years of build-up uh, yeah. and Wednesday's the gardener's yeah. And the day. gates opened and yeah. all these Flood. keen yeah. gardeners flooded in. And because of the stuff that we grow is a little bit rarer and hard to come by from your other bigger mm. places, um, we're often really, really busy on that Wednesday and Thursday because it's those keen people that know that I might only have 10 or mm. 20 of something um, that'll come in, and which is fun. It's it's just great fun talking about plants and things. Yes, yeah. with like-minded people. Yeah, yeah who really. So please it. come and yep. enjoy my little wine soiree through yep. the greenhouses. Yeah, there's, there's you a might word you for might it. you might mention plants every now and again. I might. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. They'll, they'll prompt you with their flowers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And yeah. So radiothon two weeks from today, and other mm. people have. I think Chloe Foster has um, put up a hand to do a uh, a garden consult. Uh, Greg Balderston's going to be running a uh, a fungi tour out at Macedon, so that's going that to be, be fun. fantastic. Yeah, it'd be yep. incredible, and yeah, so there's lots of things coming up. We've got, um, I think, diggers have got a couple of five year memberships. Which, oh wow, which Beautiful. was part of Radiothon, but we maybe could do something specially for the gardening show. So I think we might work at two. Spe- you just I'll talk have to you often. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've just committed myself, <laughs> yeah, haven't I? Did. Yeah, we just music to our ears. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. No, it sh- yeah. should be a lot of fun. And as you and we, people, without the support, this this can't go ahead. You know, it's all a hundred percent. community based and um, volunteers and things. So, but you know, we need to power the the building. We need to. We do. Well, and I think yeah. And I'm not just saying this because I'm part of this gardening show. I listen to this gardening show and it's by far the best radio gardening program on the air. Well, we think so. Well, I mean, yeah, this is self-referential, clearly. (laughs) Only when we're on. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it is. I mean, and I listen to some of the other stations and things. It's quite short and sharp and punchy. We get a chance to dive in a bit deeper. Yeah. Um, we, well, got... there's no commercials and things either that and when, get in And the when way. someone, when the, the lines are working or when people are texting in, there's time to actually go through oh. the nuance of the questions, yep. which you often don't get mm. on the short radio programs. Yep. And so, people and... get cut off and I think that's a bit... And the, and the and especially in the last you know year or two, the, the roster of presenters on this panel is... is uh, 
second to none. Because mm. it's, the, it's the glitterati of gardening. In, in <laughs> it, it absolutely oh, is. Really, really that's, why that's, that's, that's why you're here. That's why you two are here. Yeah, Definitely the glitterati. No, but you, you're absolutely spot on. And, and it's lovely because we can develop a relationship with people who listen and they will ring in with their knowledge. And it's, yeah, it's all, it's all very good. So two weeks from today, the gardening show Radiothon. Yay. Yay. All right, back to a couple of questions. Um, pruning nectarine. Is it okay to prune my nectarine now? Well, that's an interesting question. It's huge. Yeah, and okay. And I've pruned it to fit under a net. Also, when should I spray for leaf curl? From Kim. Hi, Kim. Hi, Kim. I think um, pruning nectarines in the middle of winter, you will lose a lot of fruiting wood. Uh, so, but... There's, there's two theories. Well, I've, I'm pretty firm on, on my theory on pruning fruit trees. <clears throat> you prune in winter to formatively prune or to uh, to renovate a tree. It's not a sort of a standard pruning technique because when you prune in winter, it and you prune hard in winter, you force new growth. So that there's a that's a classic conundrum of pruning it to get under a net, and uh, there's a temptation to prune really hard because I want it to be smaller so I can fit it under a net. Yeah. But if you do that in winter you actually then create all this spring growth that is fighting completely against your mission to try and make the tree smaller. Um, so what I would suggest is if it's got out of control, um, prune hard, sure, go quite hard, because um, if it's got a decent root system, it's a healthy tree, it will res- respond quite quite well. But then also follow up with a summer pruning where you can then start to shape out the feathery branches so that they're lower down and you can get the net over. A um, couple of caveats on that. Make sure, especially if you're pruning in the winter, that your tools are clean. Like mm-hmm. so, so um, a bit of bleach or or metho because gummosis is um, easily transmitted. Uh, and uh, yeah, and okay, back on the um, the leaf curl issue. So that's a, a copper application, usually done at bud burst, so a bit early, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yep. So just, just probably before. wouldn't hurt to do the. Copper after she prunes in the winter. Well, if you're going to do going both, to, yeah. it's interesting. If, if you're going to prune that hard, I'd mm. probably lay off on the the copper mm. and just see what comes through, because uh, you will have taken out most of the the hosts for the um, for the leaf curl anyway. Yeah, mm. yeah. Getting getting nets over things is difficult. Like, I understand that too. It's like pulling a yep. greenhouse cover over the top. Um, often your big wide garden brooms and things mm. underneath. Yep, and Gently push over. You can get over. a lot more height yeah. than what, what dragging you think. over is. Yeah. Especially nets is can catch on things and things and and frustrate you yeah. and things. But yeah, I often find that yeah, holding a broom underneath that to help it ease mm. over the top. Push it over, yeah. Is, oh, you know, your neighbour's good and friendly. Yeah, because netting is, is it's a team. It's activity. a team effort. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. maybe that be worth a go. But. And it's probably also worth noting that the netting regulations have changed. Yes, uh, so you've got to September. make sure that, yeah. that it's the right size net Which as well. Which is a smaller, very, very tiny important. aperture. Yeah. 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 Um, and you can actually get fined now yep. if you use that. So. Mm. Which is a good... I, my, my, my parents have a, um, had a small orchard, a home orchard up in Castlemaine. Dry climate, uh, a lot of snakes around. Mm-hmm. And I remember this a few years ago, the larger netting, which was dragging onto the ground, and a snake got stuck in it 
and died in the net. Mm-hmm. So this is the reason that, that we've got the, the tiny, the, the smaller mesh because yep. birds and wildlife are getting killed. Yeah, that's mm. snakes, yep. as you say. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's awful, awful way to go. Mm. Yeah. Yes, yes, slowly choked. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and yeah. you don't, unless you're out there often, you don't necessarily mm. see it happening. So, mm. Okie dokie. Vicky from Blackburn. Um, I have three blueberry ash planted seven years ago as advanced plants. Alive and very slowly growing, part shade. They have never flowered. How do I get them to flower? Have tried fertilizer, uh, monthly seaweed, occasional Charlie carp, and who flung dung? Would tip pruning help? Oh, that is a very interesting one given that they are so old. Um, and the fact that they're slow growing when you're blackburns, I'm thinking heavy soil, um, which could be part of the issue. Potentially they are still settling in. I, I mean, Aliocarpus um, reticulatus are usually moderately fast growing. And I'm wondering if it's one of the trees that's on your it's list. It's not, but it's it, is, not, it is at St Earth. It's growing okay, in the yeah, garden. Okay, yeah, it's a beautiful, um, thick uh, green foliage mm. with dainty little flowers, either white or light pink, mm. with yeah. little fringe on the petals. Um, downward hanging. Oh, How much shade did she say? She Sorry, said Abby. part shade. Which is they're normally kind it, of they're a mids- rainforest tree. Yeah. yeah. So they, I, I'm a little bit perplexed. I and all I can think of is they're still settling in. If they were advanced trees, mm-hmm. you've put them into it sounds most likely like a heavy soil. Mm-hmm. If you have put them directly into the ground, um, I would potentially continue with the seaweed. Um, making sure that you applying that regularly and by regularly, I mean, given that they're advanced, you might even just be once a month, that sort of thing, just to try and really encourage that root growth. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure they mm. will flower eventually. I, and the question on the tip pruning, I think the tip pruning would work if they were vigorously growing. It might sort of check them to flower, but I wouldn't, if they're, they're not flowering yet on that description, I don't think the tip pruning is going to help. To, yeah. get the, to get them to flower. Yeah, they will flower on their own when they're growing well. It's interesting. I mean, because they flower in a tiny pot, so it's mm. yeah, it, it is a strange situation. So mm. yeah, not sure. All right, Jane, mm. let's get to a couple of plants. Should we start with something? I don't. Let's start with daffodils. And oh, daffodils nice. are weird. And in <laughs> what are we the second week of June? Um, so I've got some tiny little daffies in front of me. Um, so the first one is Narcissus cantabricus. Now it's in the hoop petticoat or the bulbocodum group. So if you hold the little flower upside down, it looks like a little girl's oh, petticoat super sweet. dancing yep. around. I never knew um, that's why they were called petticoats. Yeah, yeah, right. What did you yeah. think? That you attach them to your petticoat? I don't know. I have no we idea don't what wear I petticoats yeah. anymore, Tim. <laughs> that's because he's under petticoat government. Um, so the um, corona is. Huge. It's all about the, the big corona on the um, bulbocotums and the, the six petals of a normal daffodil are these tiny little sort of more insignificant things at the back. Um, so this one's native to Spain and Portugal, etc., where it grows in sort of open um, sort of woodland areas and things. Um, they're just a great addition to winter, I think, um, and white flowers particularly, like galanthus are coming out. Um, very soon there's been some autumn flowering ones but um, most of our sort of galanthus will be coming soon it just adds a little bit of color to a dreary day even though it's white Mm -hmm. Um, so any of those little 
Bulbocotums, the the common one that people would know as our general hoop petticoat, um, native to Spain and France and that sort of thing, is more sort of late late winter, early spring flowering. So some of these ones, these other species in that group that flower a little bit earlier just extends your season of little hoop petticoats. And so what sort of conditions? Um, so full sun to even partial shade. It'll take a bit of afternoon filtered shade as well, but full sun mostly. Um, well drained. Just Full sun full sun in winter or full sun like under a deciduous tree or um, do they need that? Yeah, deciduous tree would be fine. So yeah. when they finish flowering and there's still um, the beautiful green leaves afterwards, it won't matter if it's sprung back into growth yep. kind of. Um, dormant over the summer where you can just leave them in. Um, if they're in a pot, generally sort of cool and dry for your pots. But um, most bulbs prefer the garden. Um, about 10 centimetres deep and daffodils don't need a lot of fertiliser either, a bit like our natives. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't overfeed because that means you don't get flowers as well. Um, so you can try that. The other so little, just, sorry, just to yep. interrupt. Would you create mounds if you have heavy soil? Is that necessary for, uh, for not, these types of things? Not particularly. Um, most of the bobocotums are, are quite easy. Yep. Um, uh, along with a lot of daffodils, the only sort of tricky one is sort of um, cyclamineus and things like that that um, need a lot more sort of wet areas than. Uh, for a daffodil. Yep. So yep. these bulbocotums you're pretty safe with. Um, general potting mix, you could mix a bit of gravel in for drainage or perlite, um, but generally in the garden a lot better, make yep. a little drift. Um, and the other one I've got in front of me is another little um, species daffodil. So this is Narcissus pachybulbus. Mm. So it's got a big name for a little flower. <laughs> it's only about two centimetres across and the tiny little corona in the middle is only about a third of a centimetre. I'm going to pass it over to AB. To, you don't get hay fever? No. No, good. I thought no. I'd better check first. <laughs> <laughs> so this one's in the Tazetta group or the, the jonquils. Um, and it smells divine like a, a jonquil. And it gets to about 20 centimetres high. Um, It's native to Morocco. So um, a lot of our daffodils come from those fabulous areas. Uh, And naturally sort of flowering now. Um, And if you've got a big group of it, it can flower all the way through June into July. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a beautiful, pure white. And and it sort of um, glistens a bit. Mm. Like it looks like it's got a little shimmer over the top, um, like a shimmer fairy's been around last night. Um, and very, the fact very that it comes from Morocco is interesting in a way. Yeah. I mean, Morocco, Spain. Hmm. I mean, you think they're climates that are generally analogous for temperate parts of Australia. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and that's why a lot of the South African things do well too. Um, consider we'll go into because we're going to run out of time, aren't we, Ob? Um, so, in front of me, um, I've got uh, Lacanalia. So, everybody might remember their mum or grandma's soldier boys. Oh, yeah. Mm. So, that used to, is quadricolour. It um, has basically that red and then yellow and then magenta mm. little flaring bell, we might know. So, the one I've got in front of me is actually Viridiflora. So, um, it's endemic to South Africa down the um, southwest Cape. Um, where it's now become critically endangered due to humans building um, basically holiday homes, I think it is, because of the position of, you know, great views and things. And so this poor little um, animal needs looking after. Um, It is fabulous colour. It's turquoisey sea green um, in colour, the Viridiflora mean green. 
Um, most lacanalias are sort of more spring flowering, but these winter ones are well worth the effort because they um, extend your colour season of lacanalias to begin with and it brings colour to the dreary winter days. Um, they require a, a full sun spot. Mm-hmm. So um, probably out under the, from the drip line of the deciduous trees mm-hmm. would be a lot better. Um, uh, pot culture is very, very good for lacanalias mm. because you can shift them inside while they're in flower as well and enjoy them. Um, is so it a case where you're sort of taking them in and out, in and out, or you can leave them inside for a month? You could leave them inside for a month because you, you could put a saucer underneath yep. and, mm. and water beautiful. it. Right yeah. now, little beautiful yeah. little living um, Unless uh, I, I should put a caution on that. Um, our only heating is a wood heater and my mother has the, ha- the house about 25. Um <laughs> It's like a sauna. But anyway, um, so that might be a little bit too hot for it being in there a month. But certainly if you're having a dinner party, you know, live plants are great. Beautiful. Um, So lacanalias are a a good thing for a full sunny, well-drained spot. I wonder what ecologically what why they flowered in the middle of winter. They've got like a, a tubular or bell yep. type so flower. They're, a they're pollinator. F- they're pollinated by the um, lesser double collared sunbird. Mm. Let's ah, just say right. a little sunbird, bit like a hummingbird yep. or um, our eagle. little honey eaters yep, yep. or something like that with a long bill. So um, I don't know whether perhaps they're slightly migratory, the sunbirds mm. or something, and that's the time that. So do you get the little eastern spine bills or honey yeah, on those the bees? Because we see a lot of that with um, South African flora in Australia mm. or flip around where we've got similar honey yeah. eater birds. Our that, honey eaters upside yeah. down. In yeah. The, yeah. yeah, upside down on a nephofia yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so I think that's uh, – well, that's definitely its pollinator um, and probably, you know, because of the tubular flowers, that's – yeah, like a nephofia, mm. that's mm. what they need. Mm. Beautiful. Mm. Very cute. Is that it? Well, yeah. I can move on to <laughs> yeah, nerines if you want. Yeah, yeah, move on. <laughs> so middle of winter again and we have nerines in flower. Now, you know, I was in here in the summer talking about nerines and how fabulous they are is autumn colour and things. Um, your whole nerine season can go from um, basically the middle of February right through to the end of June into July. So the one I've got in front of me at the moment is a delicate little pink um, it used to be flexiosa. So um, the old-fashioned white one that everybody's mum might have in their garden, flexiosa alba. However, nerines have now been um, looked at and all the flexiosas have gone into undulata. Mm-hmm. So it should now be nerine undulata, although they can still consider it to be nerine undulata flexiosa group kind of thing. Um very, very – so it's just a pink form of that old-fashioned white that people would know, but it, it has that dainty, frilly sort of mm. appeal to it and um, a perfect circle of flowers too, mm-hmm. uh, whereas a lot of nerines can be just sort of floppy to one side, like a bit like a belladonna. Um, but – and then there's also another one that flowers during the winter which sold in the trade here as winter cheer, um, which is a Baudenii – hybrid and I think to me it has to have some undulata in it to mm-hmm. be sort of because Baudenia is very early in the season. Um, however, I think what we sell as winter cheer in Australia is in fact should be called Pink Triumph, um, which is RHS registered. The only reference for winter cheer around the world is in Australia, mm. um, which we have this problem 
sometimes with renaming things to sell them better. It's like selling the yellow Lycoruses a yellow Noreen mm-hmm. or Noreen Aurea. Mm. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, so I think um, people need to be looking out for Pink Triumph being sold as winter cheer. It's a fabulous addition because it gets up to about 40 centimetres high and, you know, 20 bulbs in a, in a clump and they just flower all through these wet wintry days and things yeah um, so something in the rain season can can go on a long lot longer um so something to look out for yeah and have you seen flowering seasons change over the years um definitely depend and it depends on um all the climatic conditions and things like this autumn was a bit weird because we had the rain in in january which was great but then autumn was very dry mm. for mm. us um, so a lot of those uh, autumn flowering bulbs need um, rain to actually sort of induce them into flowering. So yep. some of the rain lilies were a bit slow, yep. um, but then false watering a greenhouse, there you, there you have it. But the, the ones that are sort of out in the garden and things weren't as good, yes. So it all comes down to mm. climatic conditions and plants do it when they, they're ready. Yeah. You know, yep. um, if you miss a flowering season because it was too wet or something, They'll come back. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Very nice. Thank you. There you go. Very good. All right. Well, I will quickly say Roger Elliott texts in. Thanks, Roger, to talk about the Eliocarpus. He just mentioned it could be seed grown. That well, They oh. could be seed grown, which is um, which, which potentially. Which would make it delay. Taking, it will yeah, get just, there eventually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. get there eventually, but just mm-hmm. um, take longer. To Whereas most in the trade would be cut and grown from a selection. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, another question, briefly. I think we've still got time. Yes, we have still got time. Um, Hi, garden team. We have an old magnolia grandiflora, which had a lot of dieback, possibly due to the wet season. I have cut back about two thirds and find a. I find some new shoots on some branches, one on the main trunk. Do you think this tree is worth persisting with through spring, or get rid of it and replant? We are in Northcote with heavy clay soil. I think if it's showing some green shoots, it's worth sticking with. You can hack the grandiflora can. back, can't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. 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 Pretty I mean, they're, they're hard. Sometimes yeah. hedged almost. Yeah. Mm. Um, it, it does sound like they've had to go quite hard into some old wood if it's got some dieback. Mm. And there might be some reason it might have been scorched on a hot day or who knows what that mm. might have been. And, and mm. it's really difficult, as we know, to know what the, the exactly. individual circumstance yeah. is. But I think in that circumstance where there is a little bit of green response growth to that pruning, You've at least got to give it a spring time to see if it's And they put on a lot it. of growth once you cut them mm. back because, you know, in the flower trade and things is why they yes. – you tend yeah. to find them hedged and things because they cut sort of three-foot mm. bits off um, to use. for floristry yeah. kind of thing. And then you go back that next spring and the same amount of growth, if not more, mm. with that beautiful bronzy ingementum mm. on yes. the back is, yep. you know – I'd give it – I'd leave it in and give it a go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. 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 That's a I keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And they They're don't, tough. you know, we're up in the hills and I've got a, a massive row of grandifloras and they don't they don't mind my wet. I know it's not clay. Yeah. But, um, and grandiflora for a magnolia have quite shallow roots, like yeah. those fibrous ones that run along. You can't really plant much under a grandiflora because of all the fibrous roots mm-hmm. and things. So stick with it. Yeah. Great tray. Especially if it's 
mature, it's settled. Mm. Yeah, yeah, if it's definitely. already got its roots yeah. in the ground. Yeah, for as sure. long as that's not the cause of the disturbance, which if it's showing some green shoots, it sounds like it's got something mm. going for it's it. It's going to go, yeah. yep. Okay, good morning all. My potted calla is going yellow. Is it going to die right down? What do I do with it? They're winter dormant. So um, it, it should be going I'd, yellow. I'd actually probably move it somewhere cool and dry now because the they need a drier winter and now that we're having all mm. of this rain it may Early be too. yeah it yeah. may be sort of inducing it to die back sooner as ab said before you know is there climate things that happen so if it's it was in a pot wasn't it sorry yes, yeah it was. um yeah. move the pot somewhere now um under an eave or um edge of the garden shed somewhere where it's not mm. going to get the rain let it all dry out once it dies completely back then you can tip it out, repot. Beautiful. Sounds good. Okie dokie. Uh, met a couple of our listeners yesterday at work at Karanga, uh, Vicky and Peter, with their cute little dog, Zeus, who <laughs> didn't let me pat him because I think he just wasn't happy about being... Just living up to yeah, his name. Totally, yeah. yep. Um, so Zeus. I didn't pat Zeus, pat Zeus but... Um, they say, Jane, we have our uh, Lichenalias in pots mm-hmm. that we can bring out when they are flowering. So that's nice. Yeah, so yeah. see? Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and you can. You can put it on your, your back steps or yeah. wherever where you can see them. And, and they do bring a lot of colour. So yeah. well done. Yeah, good one. And good luck with Zeus. <laughs> he was very cute. Yeah. Um, I will pat him one day. Yeah. Um, Jane, can we come to your nursery and buy the bulbs already potted up and in flower? Um, sadly, no. I did make that adventure once. I know we're nearly out of time. Um, but because we're so hard to find, it um, became sort of, you know, it wasn't profitable at all. You'd get one person of a weekend. If you are ordering online, you can certainly come pick your order up if you ring me and let me know you're coming. I just might be over the back paddock. And yeah. <laughs> Give you a hoy. Yeah. Mm. All right, guys. Well, I don't know how we did it, but we've run out of time right. again. Very mm. annoying. Um, thank you, Jane Tonkin from Tonkin's Bulbs. Thank and you. thank you, Tim Santon from you. Diggers for coming in and sharing your amazing knowledge as always. Been a lot of fun. Um, we will be back on air again, of course, next week and week after is Radiothon. So uh, please tune in and dig deep then. Until next week, bye-bye for now.